Tonight we're going to look at these verses under the heading, You Are the Light of the World, and there's three things that I want us to consider together. First, the, the reality of this, you are the light of the world. Second, the calling, let your light shine. And then the purpose or the motivation so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. One of the commentators that I read on this passage said that this is one of the most outrageous things that Jesus said in all of his ministry. There he was on the hills of Galilee, and he looked at his disciples and those who had gathered, and he said, you are the light of the world. He wasn't in the temple or in a synagogue, or in a place of learning. He didn't say these words to educated leaders, to professionals, but to a band of Galilean fishermen and publicans and tax collectors. And he said, you, you are the light of the world. You understand why... That commentator said that's outrageous. And tonight it's just as outrageous that this word comes to to you, to me. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. This is not a word that he says to the educated in our society. This is not a word that he says in the halls of learning or in places of political leadership. But he says to you tonight. In this relatively large city, not to the city leaders, but to you. You are the light in this city. You are to be a light, each of you in your neighborhood, in your place of work. You are the light of the world. And I said that's a fact. That's put by Jesus here in, in, in the indicative. This is true. This is who you are. And what an encouraging thing for us as we think about that and think about the impossibility and, and the difficulty of this task to be light in the midst of darkness. Jesus says it's true. You are light. And then we think of the way that the gospel comes and the power of the gospel. Jesus Uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And so the prophet says it's not by might or by power, but by the word and the spirit of God. You are the light of the world. To understand this, this fact or this reality, we must first understand the, the contrast, light in the midst of darkness. And that word dark is a word that's used in Scripture to describe the, really the sinfulness of humanity. And that, that darkness is something that we have to understand so that we, we can be light in the midst of the world. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, then, then a dark cloud descended on humanity and on this world. What is that darkness? We, we perhaps could use an illustration here or think about this. If you're in a very dark room, perhaps it's your basement. There are no windows down there and the lights are not on and you can hardly even see the 
the hand that you hold up in front of your face because it's so dark. And what do you do? You stumble. You don't know where you're going. And the Bible says that the darkness of, and the blindness of unbelief is, is something like that. They know not at what they stumble. What is this darkness? It is, first of all, a spiritual darkness of mind. We are not talking here about literal darkness, but the literal darkness that God has created into which he commanded the light to shine when he first said in creation, let there be light. That darkness is a picture of the spiritual reality of the the darkness of mind that exists in this world. And that's not just ignorance, it's not a lack of intelligence, it's not a lack of learning. The Bible tells us about this world that they are ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so Ephesians 4 verse 18 says that they are darkened in their understanding, they are excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. And that, that describes for us the the depravity of man's nature, which leaves him in this absolute darkness. Think of an example. What can man know? Or what can man conclude through his study about the origin of this world? He will conclude, and because he wants to, that this world is millions and perhaps billions of years old, and it's all come about through processes of evolution and some big bang. And and in his mind, his dark mind, he excludes the reality of God from this world. So there's first that, that darkness, that spiritual darkness of mind. Then there is this darkness is a description of the moral darkness of man. Ephesians 5 Uh, Verses 11 and 12 puts it this way, Do not participate in the useless deeds of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of of the things which are done by them in secret. There's a moral darkness. They don't know and they don't want to know the law of God for man. And so they live in defiance against any, any evidence or any revelation of, of God's law and God's requirements for human morality. Just think of the, the killing of the unborn. Or think of what our society promotes today as, as marriage and as healthy relationships. Homosexuality. And the Bible says it's shameful to even speak of those things that are done of them in secret. This is where a blindness of heart and mind leads to a blindness in living. In the end, this darkness, and here's the third thing I want to say about it, is a separation from God. And isn't that the result of of sin in the beginning? That Adam and Eve were driven from the presence of the Lord in the Garden of Eden? And isn't this the way that Human depravity is described for us in the verse that I just read, Ephesians 4, verse 18. They're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance or the darkness that is in them. Or as John puts it in 1 John 1, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we're not practicing the truth. So so this, this moral 
and this spiritual darkness is in the end living apart from God. And that's the darkness of the world that we live in. And as we shine the light, isn't that part of the testimony that we want to give to man, to know God? And to walk with God? So this darkness describes enmity with God and separation from God, but then it also describes for us what what we could describe as bondage to sin. I spoke earlier of walking in the darkness and stumbling, and and Moses says this in in Deuteronomy 28, verse 29, that man is like a blind person groping around at noonday. Not only is the natural man blind, but he doesn't know that he's blind. And how terrible that blindness is then. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 23, so if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If you think that you have light, but in fact it's darkness, how great that darkness is. And this is, this is the mind of man without the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. And so in the end, darkness is a a rejection of Christ. Light came into the world, John says, and the darkness did not comprehend it, did not grasp it. They didn't see Jesus as the light. John says in 1 John 3, that, that light is coming to the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light so that his deeds will not be exposed. Man hides himself from the reality of God and the reality of Jesus Christ and rejects Jesus Christ. That's the deeds of darkness. And as we think about this tonight, we recognize that this is a universal condemnation of humanity. Ephesians 5, verse 8, a beautiful text, really, that speaks about how we are light, makes that point when it says, you were once darkness. This is how we all come into the world. And it's only a work of grace and regeneration that changes that. So this is the the spiritual condition of the world in which we live. Proverbs 4 says, the the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. What What a summary of this darkness. And over against that, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. I think we can summarize what that means in in three things. First of all, a a spiritual understanding or what the Bible calls wisdom, wisdom that's from above that James speaks of. It is to, to be light is to understand and to see things as God sees them, to know who we are, as just described, to know our need of God's grace and of salvation in Jesus Christ, to know why we're here in the world, as light, to know where we're going, to to know the reality of the glory and the holiness of God, which is a light in heaven to which no man can approach. It's to to know God's word. Jesus says in, in Matthew 13, blessed are your eyes 
for they see, and your ears for they hear. Or, as we read in Psalm 119, over and over, about the, the greater understanding, the more wisdom that we have. And so we pray, Lord, open my eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. And now, think of the dark plague that came on Egypt, the ninth plague. And there was darkness, the Bible tells us, in all of the land, a thick blanket of darkness such as never had been before. And then the Bible says this, but the Israelites had light in all their dwelling places. And there was some miraculous thing that enabled them to be able to, as it were, have eyes that pierced the darkness and they could see. And that's what Jesus is saying to us tonight from a spiritual point of view. You are the light of the world. Knowledge, wisdom, is not in halls of learning, in thick textbooks, in dissertations. But you, you have light, you have understanding. So that first, spiritual understanding or wisdom. And then second, to be light is is to have moral light, or a light is to walk and to live in the light. And the Bible talks about that. We, we, we sang that in Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word sheds light on my path, a shining light. It guides my feet. It's to, 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 to live in the light. Is to live in moral obedience. And that, of course, is, is first of all love. And that's what John talks about in 1 John when he talks about the light. If we love your brother, you're in the light. If you hate your brother, you're a liar and you are in the darkness. And so Jesus summarizes all obedience with that great motivation of love and devotion to God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So it's understanding, it's to live in the light. And then third, light is to, in the end, be in living fellowship with Jesus Christ. He's the true light that has come down from heaven. He's the light that's come to lighten every man. And to to be light, then, is to to be called by the power of the gospel out of the kingdom of darkness into the marvelous light, into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And you who were once darkness are now light in the Lord, or by the Lord, or in communion with the Lord. And so to, to be in the light is to live in Jesus Christ, and to live with Jesus Christ. And... And that means then that we're not light in ourselves, but our light is derived. The true source of light is the only light with a, with a capital letter L, Jesus Christ. And we are light with, we could say, a small, lowercase l. And we reflect the light of Jesus Christ. And, and God, of course, again, gives us a beautiful illustration of that in the creation. You know that when the moon is on the backside of the earth, You can't see it. 
It has no light of its own, but it's only when the light of the sun shines on the moon that you can see a portion of, or all of the moon, if, if the sun and the moon are in the right position in regards to the earth. And so it is with us. Our light is derived from Jesus Christ, and it's the, the light, the glorious saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and the light of God himself that is reflected from us. As this is put in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And now, all of this is a fact, a reality, a declaration. You are the light of the world. It's important for us to, to understand the the gospel logic or the gospel order that Jesus uses here, and you find this all the way through the scriptures. You are not called just to be something or to do something, but you are first made to be something and then called to show that. And that's what Jesus is saying here in the indicative, you are light, and then follows the imperative, let your light so shine. And it's the work of God's grace, first of all, that transforms us in regeneration, in the change of our character. As Jesus describes that here in the Sermon on the Mount, you think of what each of the Beatitudes describe, the, the poor in spirit, those who mourn over their sin, those who are meek, those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and the persecutor. These are the light in the world of darkness. And that's our privilege, as Jesus says that to Galileans and to fishermen. So he says to you tonight, you are light. Can you say with the psalmist what we said in Psalm 119? I have more understanding than the ancients. I have more wisdom than my teachers. You can, because you are light in this world of darkness. At the same time, there is a calling, and Jesus comes to that when he says, let your light so shine. Let it shine. God has worked by his grace in your heart. God has transformed you. God has given you understanding. God has given you a love for him, for obedience. Let your light shine. And the illustrations are very obvious to us. When you, when you turn a light on in a dark room or at night you get in your car, as you will tonight, and leave the church parking lot, you, you turn your lights on. And what happens when you have light? Then, then you can see. And that's what Jesus is talking about here when he says you don't hide a light under a bushel, but you put it on a candlestick or a lampstand and you put it in the middle of the house. And where it's positioned in the middle of the house, it will give light 360 degrees to all that are in the room, to all that are in the house. And Jesus is saying, turn your light on. Let your light shine. That, he's saying, is the effect that you will have in the world of darkness. You as individuals and you collectively as a, as a church, the city on a hill is really a reference to a collection of individuals. To the church as a community. And what a beautiful thing it is when in a dark place, a dark 
country or a dark state or a dark city, there's a church that is a beacon of light. What a beautiful thing it is when in the workplace, in an office, where the jokes and the humor and the living are immoral. Or in a classroom setting, in, in perhaps a college, where the, the education and the teaching is anti-Christian and unbiblical. What a beautiful thing that there is one believer who's a light in the midst of that darkness. And not just to show a contrast to the darkness, but also to show the way out of the darkness. Isn't that the way lights work? They don't just show up the darkness or what's there in the darkness, but they lead the way. That's a flashlight, isn't it? That's the way we use light to show the way. And, and that's our calling then, isn't it? And of course, there's opposition to that in the world of darkness. And Satan wants to put out our light. Let your light shine. Let it keep shining is the idea here. Now, Jesus uses two illustrations to, to highlight this calling. And the first illustration, uh, at the end of verse 15, I think it is, is to highlight the impossibility of hiding our light. Matthew chapter 5, at the end of verse 14, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In Palestine and in the ancient world, they built their cities on hilltops. We live in a land where most of the cities are built in the valleys and along the rivers because commerce was really what built, and transportation was really what built this country. But they were built on hilltops, and they were built on hilltops because these were safe places, the high ground, when enemies would come, and they would often be walled cities, and they were also uh, cities with light on a hill that could lead the travelers. There's the light up ahead. We're going in the right direction. And Jesus says, a city set on a hill cannot be hid. Now, we know something about the difficulty of hiding the light of a city, or Maybe perhaps we know the glow of a city in the distance. If you're traveling at night, certainly you see it as you're approaching Chicago. The light, the glow in the distance. During World War II, it was very difficult to, to hide from the night bombers, almost impossible. And there were, there were rules about whether you could even light a candle at night. Almost impossible. And then, and then sometimes the, the moon would reflect on the buildings and the, and the city couldn't be hid. And Jesus is saying something like that here. A city in the night cannot be hidden, especially when it's a city that is high on a hilltop. And, and so it is with the light of the Christian, Jesus is saying. This is what you are in the world, and you cannot be hidden as a believer. The question is not whether you let your light shine. But the question is this, what are you letting people see as your light shines? Let your light shine and don't hide it. What is your witness? Is it there to guide others? Is it to show them the, the darkness of sin 
and unbelief. The second illustration really builds on the same. It's basically a parallel idea. In verse 15, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And now the, the process of lighting a lamp took effort. It wasn't like flipping on a switch as, as we do it today. There was a a lantern, you had to have oil in it, you had to have a wick that was dry on one end so that it could be lit. You, you had this specially shaped bowl with all these different components and, and after you had lit that lamp in a dark night, you didn't put it on the ground and then put a basket over top of it. You don't take a five-gallon bucket and put it over your light when you're out camping in the dark. Jesus is saying that's ludicrous. How silly, how ridiculous. And really what he's telling us here is that this is the most pathetic kind of Christian that there is. He is light, but he tries to hide his light. He doesn't want people to see that he's a Christian. He tries to escape notice. And that's the purpose of Jesus here with the illustrations, to to get us to think about that. We need to think about that. Too often we hide the light. We try to blend in. We laugh along with the world and their humor and their jokes. We want to be accepted. We hear man expressing his ignorance and we remain silent. We don't share the the knowledge of God that we have. We don't give a testimony to the reason of the hope that we have or the power of the Holy Spirit and of saving grace in our lives. And God puts these things in our in our pathway is providential opportunities to let the light shine. And we, as it were, turn down the dimmer switch. And Jesus is saying, how ridiculous, how pitiful that we would do that. So let's think about that. Now, before we go on to the the purpose of letting our light shine, I, I want us to think about this very practically. What In what areas in our life do we or should we let the light shine? How specifically do we do that? And I'm going to mention five things, but there will be two groups. First two and then three. We let our light shine first in our conduct and speech. Our conduct and our speech. Jesus is going to talk about things in our conduct here in the Sermon on the Mount in in verses 40 and 41, going the extra mile, verse 44, loving your enemies, praying for them, doing good to them. In chapter 6, having our treasure in heaven, not here on the earth. So that's talking about our goals and and why we live in this world. In chapter 6, verse 24, he's going to talk about our attitudes towards Money and the the mammon of this world in verse 25 and following. 
how we respond to the, the troubles and the trials that God sends to us in our life. What a testimony can come through the faith of a believer. So our conduct should shine a light of contrast in the world of darkness. So that we're known as Christians who are honest, trustworthy, diligent, hardworking, genuine, selfless. Take the Word of God seriously in our day-to-day lives, a principled in our living, so that our life, as it were, we could say, aligns with the gospel. And that, of course, comes into our relationships as well, doesn't it? Are we forgiving? Are we peacemakers? Are we meek? Are we selfless? And all of that is a reflection then, isn't it, of the gospel. And that's what Jesus is talking about here when he speaks of good works. That they may see your good works. Your your life itself preaches or ought to preach the message of the gospel. And of course that's got to go deeper than, than just external conduct, doesn't it? And that's the point here in the Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus talks about character. So let your light shine through intentional, biblical, God-loving, honest, humble living. And then in our speech, conduct and speech, truth and kindness from our lips, the, the content of our speech being different than what the world converses about. How we talk about things. You've heard your mother, boys and girls, say it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Are we also willing and ready with our lips to to share the hope of the gospel, the forgiveness that's in Jesus Christ, the joy of salvation that's ours, the, the anticipation that we have of heaven? And there are all kinds of opportunities, again, that God brings into our life to to be a light. Think of in the workplace, for example, or perhaps with a neighbor, when when current events are talked about. And there's war, and there's economic recession and predictions, and there's inflation, and there's unrest because of politics and incompetent leaders and, and... How does man respond to this without hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ? He's fearful, he's cynical, and God gives us opportunity not to pledge our political alliance, but to speak of a greater hope that we have. Psalm 20 says, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we remember the name of the Lord our God. Or, or, Or maybe it's something like this, and In the world in which we live, there's a lot of family brokenness and pain and hurt. People that have come from broken situations and it's repeated in their lives and and it's not just for us to, to condemn them, but to speak of the joy and the hope and the love and to lead them on with Scripture to repentance and forgiveness and peace in Jesus Christ. It can be something as simple as talking about the weather, talking about your work or your boss, 
and speaking of the sovereignty of God. Let your light shine. God gives us so many opportunities that are there for us to take a hold of, they are there for us to see, and not, as it were, turn down the dimmer. So conduct and speech, that's the one category that I wanted to talk about, but the other that I want to talk about is, is something that really, I think, transforms our attitudes, transforms our perspective as Christians in the world. And these, should be, these three things should be very evident in the life of the Christian. Three words, love, joy, hope. This is the greatest testimony that we can give in the world. Love. Love for one another. Jesus says, by this shall all men know you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Love for enemies. Love that forgives. Love that serves. Joy. Joy in salvation. Joy in the forgiveness of sins. Joy resting in Jesus Christ. Joy in contrast to a world that has all kinds of pursuits in entertainment and recreation. Joy and contentment in the place that God's given us. Hope. Our hope is this, that we're pilgrims and strangers, we're passing through, heaven is our home. These things that that people see, so that they ask a question, a reason for the hope that you have. So love, joy, and hope. Be ready to give an answer, and to be a light. And Jesus says this in a purpose statement, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine in such a way that this is what they see and this is the result. God, not you. They glorify your Father which is in heaven, not you. You see, Christian living isn't about being right. It's not about winning an argument. It's not about being better than the world in which we live. But it's about glory to God. And in the end, glory to God in this way, that they glorify your Father in heaven. And Jesus is speaking here of the power of our witness, the power of light in the midst of darkness. The power is this, that God will use it to turn people from darkness to light. As I was preparing this, I I thought to myself, when was the last time that happened in my life that I gave a light that God used to bring someone else to glorify him. Has that ever happened? Let your light shine. Let your light shine. The Heidelberg Catechism puts it this way. Why must we do good works? It's talking about good works here. Why? So that by our godly conduct, others may be gained to Christ. You see, the mission of the church and 
evangelism and the witness that we give isn't just what's said from a pulpit on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening in a sermon. It's not just something printed that you hand to someone, but it's your contact, your personal interactions. It's relational. And they'll see, and they'll ask, and they'll turn, and they'll glorify God. That's powerful. And that's why what Jesus says here is so remarkable, so outrageous, as I said at the beginning. God will use you and me as lights in a world of darkness. So let your light shine. Amen. Father, we're thankful for the encouraging word here. It's, it's not something that we are always conscious of. It's something that we understand our own weakness and failing in, but it's encouraging to hear the word of Jesus in which he tells us this is who you are, this is who I've made you to be, and give us confidence then as we live our lives. And may they be fruitful, not just in good works, but in bringing others to glorify you. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to sing from the Red Song Book, the Psalter Hymnal, uh, number 404. Lord, and this is really a prayer, Lord, speak to me that I may speak. Uh, that's not 404. Oh, sorry, wrong book. Blue Book, number 404.
Now leave with God's blessing, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen.